0: Well, good evening. This one here is for Christians. So, first of all, if you're not a Christian, I'm not going to say leave, but you better get saved tonight. Because, you know, there's a lot of drunks out tonight, out of all out of all nights. You might be driving down that road. All of a sudden, that car just comes slamming right into your car. And there you go off into eternity. Into a... Oh, I'm sorry. A crisis eternity. So, but... Please turn to Psalm 133. It's a very short psalm, but it's a powerful psalm too. And Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for everything you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for this church, Lord. Most of all, Lord, thank you for your salvation. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn something this evening. Help us to uh, to live the next year even more for you, Lord. Bless us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to speaking of how we should dwell in unity as a church, as brethren. Now this verse here says, "Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity." You can maybe speak as that as a um, you know, blood brethren, brothers and sisters. It's important. All big families know how they should. It's good to have the kids dwell together in unity because if not, you have a, um, a loud and boisterous household. But this here can be applied to us. As Christians, we're all brethren and sisters in Christ. Like the song they sang, brethren, we have met to worship. It's not brethren we've met to fight, but it's we've met to worship. So, if we don't have unity in the church, I'm speaking of this church too, we won't have a church for very long. We take our church for granted, and I believe it's one of the best churches on earth been here for 14 years I've seen it grown up and I've grown up with it and I still say whenever we go off and visit some other churches it's one of the best but we have to remember that it is the Lord who's the head of the church and it's not us who we're controlling so like I said if we don't dwell together in unity we won't have a church for very long Many churches out there have split up. Big church split over insignificant things. We don't want that here at all. Now, many things can cause disunity in church, but two came to mind when I was thinking of this, or actually when the Lord gave it to me. I didn't know what to preach on. For I was going to preach on authority and some other things, but the Lord kept saying this, unity in the church. I don't know why. But as the new year's coming on, we need to think of that. And two things that really have I've seen this, this year here are, one, foolish questions, and two, a bad attitude toward our pastor, which I, am, I was guilty of, I have to admit. See, we shouldn't be proud and try to say, well, I, I don't sin. Yes, I did. But first, let's tackle the foolish questions. Everybody knows some foolish questions that have been around here recently, which are, don't make sense. They're a waste of time, waste of energy, and people have gotten in bickerments over. And start with Titus 3.9. Titus 3.9 says, But avo- avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. And if you notice in this verse here, with the foolish questions comes contentions and strivings. Foolish questions are not profitable for us things, it just makes people group against each other, and then soon enough, you have a disunited church, and you won't have a church. Um, 2 Timothy 2.23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. United States in the 1800s, over the battle of slavery, most of all, but other factors too, but... It became disunited north and south and they had a bloody war over that and by the Lord's grace we came together again and united ourselves but we we're called the United States of America and for that reason our states unite again or not against each other but with each other when we go off to war or something we work with each other with one another we don't or we try not to fight with each other that's how it should be here we don't want a civil war so to speak, in the church. We wanted to stay united all the way through until the Lord takes us home. Um, like I said, Second Timothy 2.23, those foolish and unlearned questions, avoid. Knowing that they do gender stripes, they're foolish and unlearned. They don't make sense. And I know a lot of people can think of one which has been bugging me, so that's why I have to let it out to which has been bugging me, is that thing of the husband can spank the wife, which is a ridiculous, ridiculous idea. And I know you can get mad at me, but you come up here and you can disannul it. But <laughs> I think it's crazy. The Bible says to beat the child, but it never says to beat your wife. Okay? Um, Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. I know this might sound unimportant, but little things can mushroom into big things. 23, 13, and 14. Withhold not correction from the child. doesn't say from the wife. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now, if there's a lot of verses in Proverbs that never mentions beating your wife or even spanking. You know, same difference. If he were to beat his wife, the man would be beating himself. Genesis 2:23, and 24. Um, everyone is familiar with this verse here. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So once... Husband and wife are married, which we'll have a wedding, Lord willing, in a month. Once they're married, they're one flesh. And you don't know many people except you know those Catholics in the olden days, they would beat themselves. But p- most people don't beat themselves. Okay? Now, if you would love your wife as you should, she wouldn't rebel against you. Most of the times, it's the husband who's not loving his wife as he should. And that's why she would run off or something. So if that husband would love his wife, as it says in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives, then she wouldn't rebel against him. And if she did, you pray for her. Like Jose, I think it was. Mr. Aguiar brought it up. She was an adulteress, and she ran, you know, off from him. But he bought her back and forgave her as Christ forgives us we should forgive others that includes your wife and so everywhere in the Bible I don't see unless you can show me somewhere that it is right for the man to hit or beat his wife so it might seem insignificant like I said but I just want to clarify that it might not be exactly right but you just study your word and then so in this coming year it's important let's not bring up foolish questions with each other Ones that don't make sense, like the one with, you know, God made a rock so big, that kind of thing. Those are the ones the people out in the world ask you. Foolish, unlearned. They don't make sense, cause you doubts, and cause strife in the church, which we don't want. Second thing is our attitude towards our pastor. Now, like I said, I was guilty of this this year for several months, and the pastor, Publicly, I want to apologize for that, just for the thoughts of our pastor. You know, you talk against him. Little things like, oh, he doesn't do this right, or he doesn't do that right. Pastor's not perfect. He was put in place by God over us. When we start listening to others who criticize the pastor, we start to have negative attitudes. Like I did, I started coming into church. Instead of getting a blessing out of church and out of the sermon, you sit there and criticize, well, oh, he mis- mispronounced a word, or even worse, his sermons are too soft. No, they're not. He should have listened to the one on Wednesday la- night last week. That was a good one. And I had repented of this several months before, so when he preached that one, it was like, amen, preach it, Pastor. But we can think, well, he's, he's too hard. No, you're too soft. So... It's really easy to get wrapped up into that, talking against our pastor and mumbling, like he said last week, grumbling, complaining. That's how the children of Israel had to stay 40 more years in that wilderness because they grumbled and complained. And so we don't want negative attitudes toward our pastor or his wife. When Mrs. Harvey says to do something, we should do it. No questions. Obey. Because they were put in authority. It says um in first Timothy three one let's turn there this is a true saying if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work, so a bishop is a superintendent an overseer in charge of a local church he's over you, and like in um first Timothy two one I exhort therefore that First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So instead of criticizing our pastor, I'm speaking of our pastor. Instead of criticizing him and trying to run him down, we should thank the Lord for him. We could be a church like Memorial. Yes, 6,000 times bigger, but what are they doing over there? So we should pray for him and thank him and thank the Lord for him and for his wife. Because, I, like I said, I've been here 14 years, and he's always been faithful to his church, and that is good. So if you want to continue to criticize him, there's Memorial down the street, and there's other churches. You're more than welcome to go to him, but don't stay here and criticize him more because that gender strife it causes division in the church and soon enough we'll have a church <laughs> or you yeah, go to Coke, but even there don't, don't criticize that pastor you pray for him and thank him um, until, until we have accomplished as much as we could or until we have accomplished as much as pastor has we have no right to criticize him no right to um, downgrade him at all. If you have a problem with Pastor, you don't go tell others about it or murmur, Oh, Pastor did this or that. You go to Pastor or even Mr. Hammonds or Pastor Hammonds. You should go to them personally and alone, not in front of other people, and you go ask them, Pastor, I don't understand this. Can you show from the scriptures what you know, what's up? And then Pastor would be more than happy to help you or even to admit he's wrong in some areas. So just remember, do not criticize our pastor. Now those were the two negative negative things that can cause strife and division in the church. Other things, like gossip, that's a very, very major one that can cause division in in our church or in any church. The clicks, Everyone know who's that, what is that, right? It's when all the little families get together, and they're only with those. Invite them over all the time, no one else. We're going to have our own little group. Soon enough, they have their own little Bible study, and soon enough, they're gone. I've seen it over the years. The little families, they get together, have the little Bible studies, and then you don't see them anymore, and they take many more with them all the time. So that's why we need to avoid cliques. We need to dwell in unity, talk to everyone. The, that little, that lady over in, on the side, over alone, go talk to her. Other times you can talk to your own friends. I'm saying this about myself too. You need to talk to everyone. Get involved with everyone. And then you won't have the cliques. And then pride too. When you think you're more than somebody else, that can really cause division and strife in the church. It's one important thing not to have in our church. So, those are the negative things, but let's look at Colossians three twelve through 15, which says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. perfectness. So if we put on these things right here, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forgiving one another, we won't have a disunited church somebody says something and they maybe didn't mean it but they said something against you or something about you instead of getting all uptight and mad and telling so and so said this about me and then it mushrooms into something else you go to that person and ask them kindly what did you mean and if they did mean to be mean you say well in your heart you should already forgive them just say i forgive you Hopefully he'll apologize, but at least you forgive them. That's your part. You might say, well, he's not apologizing to me, so why should I forgive him? The Bible doesn't say that. It says you forgive them as Christ forgave us. How many times have we strayed from the Lord and he's brought us back? He doesn't just cast us away. So we have to remember to forgive others as Christ forgave us. We need to love one another, help each other. Like I said, forgive one another. Ephesians 4 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's there again that we should forgive one another. If we do that, we will dwell in unity, as it says. And we will have a, a prosperous church, one that will go soul winning together and go out and preach the gospel to um, other people. Because that is our main goal, main purpose for this church, is to go preach to others. It's not to have our own little community within a community. It's to preach to others. And so if we're all disunited, how can we go preach to others? We can't. That's why it's very important to have united church. And like I, this came to me just a couple minutes ago. Matthew um, 5, 48. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We need to be perfect like him as much as we can. Strive to be perfect. Let's not be a mediocre church. Let's go on for the Lord. And like they preached earlier, read your Bible, pray, and witness to everybody. That's what individually we can do. And then as a church, we have our congregation, you know, um, preaching meetings, right? And then as a church, we go out and witness. That's what we need to do. So let's be perfect, even as our Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. That's from the Sermon on the Mount, which is a good sermon. You say, well, Jesus, he preached love all the time. (laughs) No, he didn't. He preached, oh, against adultery, against all kinds of things. that You need to read the Sermon on the Mount. I have to say that. It's a very good, it's the best sermon, I guess. Jesus preached it, so it's one of the best. <laughs> as the pastor says, it's good to pre- um, read a sermon of Christ every day, which is a good idea for the year 2002. And so, for this next coming year, <clears throat> let's work together as a church, not against each other. Let's be united and... Let's go on for the Lord and serve him. Okay?